Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business in Dava podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Tutum Tendi. And I am Nikia Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good evening. Well, I'm in the evening. Good morning, Dub. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm still getting used to these time zones. Understand. Um, thank you so much for joining us um, today. And I'm looking forward to your presentation. I'm just going to give you the floor and let you do your thing. Thank you. Well, I'm pleasure. I, I am pleased to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored to be here and I'm very grateful to be here. Furthermore, I want to start by saying um, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night, because <laughs> you could be anywhere. And, you know, we are coming together now in some in what is obviously some very interesting times. This is a, the COVID pandemic period of time. And there is nobody and I mean nobody that I've met um, who is not going to be or has not been affected by this. And I want to start off with something extremely positive in bringing awareness, because here's what I want you to just stop for a moment and consider, and that's this. This pandemic, this lockdown, whatever it is you're experiencing right now, is has really been a way to push you into a future you may have been resisting. So you may have been resisting remote work. You may have been resisting having people assist you remotely. You may have been resisting looking at your real purpose and what really matters in your business and dealing with your values. But you know what? Now is the time. You have been pushed into a situation where you actually have to face the, the things you needed to face. And let's be honest here with a 10 plus year roll of things being pretty fabulous and just continuing to roll forward, that has actually facilitated a lot of really terrible leadership. Really terrible leadership. It's just allowed people to do whatever they want because they could always say, well, look, it's working. Well, it's not. Now you have, that's been put a big pause on that. And now we are brought to what really matters. So that's where we're going to start today is to just have you grasp that this situation, as crappy as it is, as terrible as it has been, because first and foremost, this is a human tragedy, but at a business level, this is asking you to come back to what matters. And what matters is not profit. I know you, what? This is business. I understand. I understand. But for your business to work, you need people on the planet. I'll give you an example. You are now in business and there's no people left. How much business are you doing? The answer is none. So <laughs> this is a human issue and we have got to move forward. So now where this brings us to is what kind of leadership is going to work moving forward. For the last 35 years, I've been speaking on leadership. And I'll just sort of give you a little bit of background on me because I just want you to have some context of where I'm coming from, if that's okay. So I don't tell you any of this to, in any way, brag, but really to have you see where I'm coming from. So for 35 years, I've been speaking on leadership around the world. I've spoken in uh, most of the major cities of the United States, of Canada. Um, I've spoken in Europe, in the UK, in Asia. Um, I have uh, lived in Australia and I've even spoken at the United Nations and even in Iran. Um, I do a lot of work with family businesses. I do a lot of what very personal work with the leaders of those family businesses, those individuals who understand that it's, if you're going to really succeed, it's going to have to be something more than money. So Let's have a look at this and break it down a little bit. What I want to start with is this idea of legacy. 
What is a legacy? In family business, we understand legacy to be, I'm passing the business on from this generation to the next. Now, I don't need to tell you the statistics. I'm certain you're aware of them because I'm certain my fellow speakers here have gone into them in great detail and will continue to go into them in great detail. Family businesses fail miserably, and yet the world relies on family business more than anything. That's the thing we need more than anything. That's what keeps things rolling is family business. So if we're going to have family business continue to fuel the economies of the world, we have got to create legacy. But what does legacy mean? It's not just passing on the business from this generation to the next generation, because the challenge with that has been, this is how we do it, has been the, the mainstay understanding of that. And this is how we do it failed miserably in 2009, and it's, and it's failed again in 2020. Now, what do I mean by that is this. When things are good, we say, this is how we do it, and you don't get to argue with me because I've had a success. But here's the thing. What is going to anchor you in these times? When I mean these times, I mean the times that are critical. When crisis is going on, what is it that is going to anchor you? What is going to create the anchor in the storm that will certainly rock your boat around, but you will be stable? That is what the legacy has to be. That is what you have to pass on. We call that dragon fire. And that you need to be a dragon leader. So let's just step back for a moment and take a pause. What do I mean by a dragon leader? And what do I mean by dragon fire? If I may, I'd like to tell you a little story. There was once a caterpillar named Amel. Amel crawled around on the, on the branches of the tree and across the leaves and nibbled on all the leaves with every other caterpillar. And just life was good. The sun shone and it was fabulous. And Amel was always surrounded by all of his wonderful friends. And what's more is everybody loved Amel because Amel made the effort to always bring everybody in, to include everybody, make everybody feel like they were part of everything. But secretly, Amel felt, well, different. Amel felt like he didn't really fit in. So that was probably why he made sure everybody else fit in. Well, as each day went by, Amel would come out and would look around, and he started to notice that some of his friends were just not there anymore. And Amel asked one of the others, where did these other members go? And the person he asked, or the other caterpillar that he asked, looked up, and he looked up, and he saw all these pods hanging from some of the branches. He didn't know what they were, and nobody else understood what they were. But over time, each day, as each day went by, more and more of the pods arrived, and less and less of his friends were around. And Amel found himself feeling extre extremely lonely and sad and missing everybody. And then one day, Amel came out, and there was not a single person there. Not one of his friends was there. All he could see were these pods, and he was very sad and very lonely. And that night, he went to sleep. And when he woke up in the morning, it was a beautiful morning, a beautiful late spring morning. The sun was shining. There was a golden sky. And as he looked up at the golden sky, he suddenly saw all the pods open up. And as the pods opened up, out of him came these magnificent, beautiful butterflies with hand-painted wings, so gorgeous, flying off into the sun. These magnificent creatures and Amel was excited to see and happy for all of his friends who'd been transformed from being caterpillars who would just crawl around on leaves to now being able to take flight and travel great distances. Oh, what joy he felt briefly. He suddenly began to feel deeply sad because he had always felt like he didn't fit in a little bit out of place. But now he wondered what was wrong with him, that he had not been transformed. He had not even gotten into a pod. And how had he not even been transformed? He was not a butterfly, and he became deeply, deeply depressed. And he found himself on the edge of the bridge overlooking the river, and he let go. 
and tumbled into the water. And as he tumbled into the water, he was smashed on the water as if hitting concrete. And an outer shell seemed to pieces seemed to break off. And he was tumbled through the water and across the rocks. And as he was tumbled, more and more pieces of himself just shattered away and he was in such pain and such struggle and such difficulty that he just felt like he was going to die in fact he was praying that this was simply a dream that he was going to awaken and when he awoke he would just be nibbling on leaves or maybe he'd be transformed into a beautiful butterfly but it wasn't happening he'd just get more and more parts of him just broken off until eventually he found himself on the banks of the river where the ocean and the river meet. And he laid there exhausted for far longer than he could possibly imagine. And then he woke up with this mighty thirst. And as he leaned over to drink from a little pool that was in front of him, he saw a reflection of himself in the water and behind him was a great beast. And he felt frozen in time. He was fearful that the beast would just consume him. And as he stayed absolutely still, he noticed that the beast also stayed absolutely still. And in that moment, Amel noticed in the distance a man walking towards them. And Amel felt afraid because the man would be consumed by the beast. He was sure of that. And he knew that caterpillars were supposed to be afraid of men, but he didn't feel any fear for himself. In fact, he felt kind of a familiarity. He knew he hadn't seen the man before. The man walked up with no fear of being consumed by the beast. Just simply walked up. He carried himself with a certain glow and a certain stance. The man reached out as if to touch Amel. But Amel could see in the reflection in the pool that the man was actually touching the beast. And Amel was terrified for him, but yet the man had no fear. And then there was something strange. He realized the man was touching the beast, but Amel himself could feel the touch. It was strange. He didn't understand. And then the man spoke. And he said, you were depressed because you never felt like you fit in. You were deeply sad and depressed when all your friends were transformed into butterflies. But you were never a caterpillar. And it was not your destiny to be a butterfly. And the male was, but, 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 but I want to be a butterfly. I want to be beautiful. I want to be able to fly. I want to be able to travel from one place to another. I mean, butterflies are so beautiful. And the man interrupted him and spoke with great power. He had the weight of the mountains and the depth of the ocean as he spoke. And he said, you are not a butterfly. It was never your destiny. I am the father of dragons. And you are a dragon. It is your destiny to fly with dragons. Dragons are often born around those who are not dragons. It doesn't change that you are a dragon. And I am the father of dragons. And I've been watching over you, waiting to show you the way of dragons. The fire that moves through your veins is that of truth and love. And your fire will burn away the lies. But first, it must burn away your own. Are you a dragon? That's my question to you. Are you a dragon? Have you felt like maybe you don't quite fit in? There's something a little off about you. It's not because there's something wrong with you. It's because there's something right with you. You're supposed to do something bigger than those who surround you.
You have a legacy. You have a destiny that is far greater than being pretty like a butterfly or crawling around with everybody else who tells you you should fit in because this is not about you fitting in. This is about you belonging. When we fit in, we have to squish ourselves down and try and contort into the frameworks we're given, into the box we're given. But you are made to be bigger than the box. You are here to create a legacy, to bring greatness from your own soul. That is the fire within you that refuses to go along with the lies you've been told. It doesn't matter where you are born. What matters is what you do with that fire that is within you that calling that is within you. You may have been born into a family business and you may be the person to carry that forward, but you may be the person carrying that forward in a form you've never even considered. You are made for greater things. But here's what I want you to know. If you are a present family business leader, meaning you are a founder, meaning you are the originator, Understand this, there is no legacy if you are controlling. Dragons don't control. Dragons set fire to the lies. They go for a higher truth. They're pursuing a higher truth. So how do you find your dragon fire? That's got to be your question, right? Like, this is cool. This is interesting. But how do I find my dragon fire? And does it really matter? Well, it doesn't if you don't want it to. It does if you want to create a legacy. If you are committed to making a difference that is bigger than you and bigger than even your own family. It matters if you understand that you've never quite fit in, but you've been looking for a place to belong. I spent the first... 25 to 30 years of my life feeling exactly like that. I don't fit in, but I'm looking for where I belong. And there came a point where I had to find that. In June 1990, I'd already been speaking for uh, six years. I was very successful. I had spoken in many cities in different countries. I was living a good life. Um, I was probably the most successful I'd been up until that point. And in June 1990, my sport up until that point was adrenaline sports, meaning I was an adrenaline junkie. Things that were crazy and dangerous were the things I loved to do. And in June 1990, coming back exhausted from a particular tour, speaking tour, I went and took a few days off and went up to a place called Whistler in British Columbia, Canada, with a good friend of mine. If you're not familiar with that, that's where the Winter Olympics were held in 2010. Well, this was 1990. We went to a place called Brandywine Falls, which is this magnificent, beautiful place in nature where the water melts off the top of the glacier and comes winding down and twisting down. And as it comes down the glacier, it gathers speed until eventually it plummets off the edge of a cliff at 200 feet. It is a magnificent, beautiful place to be, to stand and to watch from the top where you can. But I turned to my friend and I said, let's, not, let, let's, see, if we can, let's see if we can hike down. Let's see if we can find our way down to the bottom. He's like, well, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, come on, it'll be fun. Of course, I was an adrenaline junkie. So we climbed down to the bottom, and we're probably, I don't know, a thousand yards from, uh, from the waterfall, and we can already feel the spray. And I challenged my buddy. I said, why don't we see if we can get behind the waterfall? He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, where the water comes off the cliff, just by its nature, there will be a space behind there. He's like, do you think so? He's like, yeah, let's see if we can get there. So fighting against the 17-mile-an-hour spray, in nothing more than running shoes, we managed to get behind there. And it was amazing. It was exhilarating. We were on fire. When I came out on the other side, I felt like nature had tattooed a big S on my chest. I felt like Superman. I felt indestructible. Nothing could take me down. And so when we came out on the other side, I said to my friend, let's not hike back up. And he's like, well, what do we do? Take the elevator? Of course, there is no elevator. We're in nature. 
I said, no, let's free climb the rock face. Now, if you don't know what free climbing is, you probably know what mountain climbing is, and you might think it's pretty dangerous, but it's really not. You have ropes, and you have chalk, and you have safety gear, and you have all kinds of good stuff. Free climbing is a little crazier because you don't have any of those things. You're literally climbing a rock face, and you're climbing that rock face without any safety lines, without all of those things. But free climbing while soaking wet in the wrong shoes and the wrong outfit, that's crazy. And that's what we're beginning to do. At 120 feet, which is 12 stories, I reached for a rock that dislodged a bigger rock that bam, hit me in the face and sent me hurtling down onto the rocks below. Now, and when I hit the bottom, I hit my face, my head on boulders. Not on, not on grass, not on small rocks, but on actual boulders. And I was smashed to pieces. Now I can tell you the gory details of what happened. I don't know that that's important. But what I can tell you is I died, I think somewhere, I think it's about five times after that. I've had uh, 12 reconstructive surgeries. And again, I don't know that that's the most important thing. Because, you see, I have been a boxer. I've been a martial artist. I was born in a ghetto in Northern England. So I've been a tough kid. I've been a leader. I've been in leadership. I've run businesses on three separate continents. I'm not going to let things get me down was my mentality. I'm going to have this positive attitude. So that's what I had. So when people would say to me, how are you doing? I would say, I'm great. I'm coming back. Meanwhile, my jaw was wide closed. I was like, I'm great. I couldn't speak properly. I was keeping up the bravado. I was keeping up the facade, which is what so many of us in leadership do. Right now, many of you with COVID-19 are gritting your teeth. going, We're great. We're going to come back. I want you to understand something that it took me two years to understand from that fall. There is no back. That's not how life works. I kept saying, I'm, gonna, I'm coming back. I was book solid. I was on TV, radio, newspapers, magazines. Everybody was waiting to talk to me before that. And I kept saying, I'm coming back. There is no back. But I was going to try. But secretly, when I was on my own, I'd be so sad and so depressed and so dark, but I would never let anybody see that. And my friends would take me out for nights out, and I'd have these nights out, and, I'd, you know, and everybody would be laughing, and I'd come home and think, what is wrong with me? You know, I'm just never going to be happy again, because I would just have no fun. And then on a particular night, we had a night out. And this particular night, I actually laughed, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Okay, I'm coming back. This is great. I'm going to be okay. And that night, feeling pretty good and pretty joyous, I came home, and as I opened my back door, the light from the outside came in across the kitchen. And as it came in across the kitchen, I could see on the floor in front of me was festooned garbage everywhere. There was Coke uh, 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 cans, there was cat litter, there were bottles, there were packages and it was gross it smelled terrible and it was all over and i was just like oh my goodness i w i went from being joyous to being enraged i mean i felt violent and i'm not a violent person yes i've done martial arts yes i've boxed but i'm not a violent person but i felt violent i was so enraged i knew who the culprit was and i was going to find them and i was going to do damage and I stormed through the house looking for the culprit. When I got into the living room, there was the culprit, laid on the couch, curled up, all cozy. And I lifted my hand to strike and about halfway down, stopped myself because that's not who I am. And instead of striking, I put my hand down, scooped up my cat and took the cat into my arms. And the cat was cold. And the cat was dead. And I fell to my knees and I began to sob and sob and sob. And within a few minutes, I realized that I'm not crying for the cat, that I was actually crying for the loss of the life that I'd had. I had to suddenly face that that life was gone. 
And in that moment, I realized I had three choices. To keep saying I'm coming back, but I was pretty clear that back wasn't working. The second choice was the most seductive choice, which was to stay exactly where I was, meaning to claim victimhood. It's not my fault. I tried hard. I was successful, but fate was not on my side. Whatever term one wants to use, and it just wasn't going well. And I was uh, feeling, you know, it wasn't my fault. I could blame and I could be the victim. And that was very tempting because it meant I didn't have to really do anything. There was a third option. I didn't like the third option because it was definitely the hardest. And that was to accept that who I was, was gone. That I couldn't come back in the sense of be who I was again, but I could evolve myself like a Mel smashed on the rocks. I'd been smashed on the rocks. The pieces of my identity had been broken away. The only question was what was revealed, what would be left now? And I realized I had to find my dragon fire. I had to find out what it was, what was my destiny? Why was I here on this planet? What was I here to really do? Now, if you'd have asked me two minutes before I fell, was I on purpose? I would have said absolutely yes, as would most of you. But in that moment, I knew it wasn't true. I knew I was driven by things that were not true to my heart and my soul. I knew I was driven by the need for significance and to get the right approval and attention. I knew that I was driven by money and accolades and all those kinds of things. And I knew that all that was pretty great because it brought me a, a good life. But I realized that what I wanted was beyond a good life. I wanted to fulfill my destiny. And I knew that the only way I could do that was to find my dragon fire, to look into that. Now, let me be clear here. I fell off a mountain. COVID-19, this pandemic, is a fall for all of us. The recession of 2009 was a fall for all of us. And here's what I want you to understand about a fall. A fall, whether it's a diagnosis uh, of your own, the loss of a loved one, a bankruptcy, um, you know, whatever catastrophic event that's happened in your life, it's there for two reasons. The first reason is to wake you up from, to wake you up from who you've been, to wake you up from the way you've been doing it. Maybe like many family leaders, and by the way, you're not on your own. You've been a little too controlling. And I understand that if you started your business, you did it because you wanted to make the people you love, you wanted to make their lives better. And maybe you've been driven by fear that if you're not doing it and you're not running it and you're not controlling it, that it'll all go to heck in a handbasket. But it's not necessarily true. So it's there to wake you up from. A fall is there to wake you up from. This is a fall. But it's also there to wake you up too. So mine was there to wake me up from the understanding of who I'd been and what was driving me to what is my destiny? What is my dragon fire? What is it that I'm here to do? Because dragons breathe fire onto the lies. But first and foremost, you must breathe the fire onto your own lies. And that takes courage. I want you to understand that. I'm in no way minimizing that. It takes courage because you are invested in your identity. Of course you are. It's not because you're a terrible person. It's because that's what human beings do. We invest in our identity, but you are far more than your personality. You are far more than your accolades. You're far more than your accomplishments. There is something far greater within you. That is your dragon fire. And when you tap into that, it is the fuel for magnificence that allows you to spread your wings, not to fit in, but to belong in the skies where you can make the greatest difference. A fall is there to wake you up from and to wake you up to. What is the real reason 
you're doing what you're doing. If you remove the identity, if you move the accolades. See, when I got to that place, I realized that I couldn't live the way I was living anymore. So very often I'm asked the question, well, is your dragon fire passion? No, it's actually not your passion. And let me explain that to you because I want you to really grasp this for a moment. Consider for a moment this. Let's pretend, because I have no idea how old you are. Um, normally I would be speaking on a stage around the world to an audience, a couple of thousand people, and I'd pull some people out of the audience and ask the question. But we'll do it here right now, and I'll just say, okay, well, let's pretend um, that you are 50 years old. Let's just go with that for now. I want you to remember, whatever age you are, I want you to try and think back to when you were 15. Do you remember what you were passionate about? <laughs> do you remember? Now, let me ask you about it. Are you still passionate about that thing? There's a pretty good chance that you're not passionate about the thing you were passionate about when you were 15. In fact, some of you won't even be able to remember what happened, what you were passionate about when you were 15. So if you were supposed to live your life on passion, that thing would continue. So here's what I want you to get clear on. This is the point of distinction. Your passion is transitory. I'm sure you've been happy. Yes? I'm sure you've been sad. And I'm sure that you recognize that those are transitory. Well, so is your passion. Your passion might last a little longer than a good mood, but it's transitory. And here's the way to think about it. Your passion is the vehicle. It transports your purpose. And when that vehicle is out of fuel, it's done, then your purpose will transform and take another, your purpose will, your dragon fire, the reason you're here, will get into another vehicle. That's okay. COVID-19 and all this fear that you've been given has actually maybe stalled your vehicle. And maybe you can re, maybe you can re um, tool this vehicle so that it becomes remote and can do all kinds of things as we move forward into a new economy. Absolutely, it's entirely possible. But maybe there's a whole other vehicle because your dragon fire is not your passion. It is not transitory. It's always been with you and it will continue to be with you. But what's got you stuck is your identity. Now, this is vitally important for each of us to grasp. So just stop for a moment. What is your identity? If I say to you, who are you? There's a pretty good chance you'll give me your name. Okay, and I'll say, no, that's your name. And you go, oh, okay. So who are you? Uh, I guess I'm whatever gender you are. No, that's your name and your gender. Oh, I see. Um, well, I guess I'm African or I'm British or I'm American or I'm Australian. No, that's your nationality. Oh, well, I guess I'm, and then you might give me your race. No, that's your race. You might say, well, I'm a Christian or I'm a Jew or I'm a Muslim or whatever it is. No, that's your faith. Who are you? Who are you? What is your real identity? You see, we invest in each of these identities. We go to church sometimes without even believing or to temple without even believing because we have an identity and a faith. We do a lot of things out of our identity. We buy that car because that's our identity. My goodness, I couldn't be seen in a Toyota. I mean, after all, I'm a multimillionaire, or I'm a billionaire, or I'm the leader of this great family. I can't be seen in a Toyota. Why? Why does it matter? Because of ego identity. And every one of us has an ego and every one of us has an identity. The question is, what are you investing in? I want to invest in my dragon fire. I want to invest in that because that's where the great difference will be made. Not in my identity. 
Identity is nothing more than addiction that we share with the world. And instead of that, step into the fire that allows you to grasp this. Now, let's give you this specific tool in the context of what gets you and I and us stuck. So please understand, I'm no different than you. I'm no different at all. I may have had some different experiences, but the same drivers are in me as are in you. That's my specialty, is what is it that drives human beings? What is it that allows us to do the things that seem impossible? And what is it that makes us do things that we logically, rationally understand we shouldn't do, yet we've done them? So let me give you the first part of that, and that's this. There is a part of your brain called the mammalian part of your brain. You ha- so let me start off, go back a little bit. We have five brains. Five. Did you know that? <laughs> you have five brains. So you have a, the brain in your head is actually in three parts. So you have the prefrontal cortex, which is right up here in the front of your brain. That's the part of your brain you use for decision-making, for cognitive thinking. It's the latest part of the brain to develop in our evolution. Then you have a, a, yeah, uh, an older part than that front part, and that is the, the midbrain. It's uh, more uh, mammalian. And then you have the brain stem where that connects. And that is what's really important part here because there is a cluster of nerves called the reticular activated system of the brain. Now this, the RAS, is the part of the brain that it's its job to keep you safe. That's what it does. And it keeps you safe by making sure that it is saving energy for the brain and constantly deleting information. It's a deleting machine. It's always looking to delete out what doesn't matter. The problem is, if you're not the one telling it what matters, the world is telling you. So what do I mean by that? I want you to grasp this, because here's what Dragonfire is. It's meaning, but it's the real meaning of your life. And if you don't do that work, then you will, just by very nature, not because you're in any way bad or wrong or any of those things, but just by the nature of it, you will take on the meaning given to you. That's what happens to us. That's what human beings do to survive. We take on the meaning that surrounds us. So in COVID-19, we're being given a meaning of fear. And that may be appropriate to a degree. But meaning is the single unified difference between mediocrity and greatness. If you don't determine the meaning, they will determine the meaning for you. You have to determine your own meaning. When you become fearful of your life, of your business, of moving forward, that is simply the reticular activated system of your brain, that part right back here, looking for evidence of a meaning you've been given. That part of your brain's job is is to delete information that doesn't validate what it already holds as meaning. So you keep looking for how it's terrifying. You keep looking for how you're probably going to go under. You keep looking for all the evidence that this is not going to work out. But when you're tapped into your dragon fire, that's the anchor in the storm. That's what holds you rock solid. And you hold to that meaning. And then the reticular activated system of your brain goes looking for evidence of that. So the meaning of mine, like my meaning, my single unified meaning, my dragonfire is assisting others to step into, to claim their dragonfire so they can make powerful impact in the world. So they can create a legacy that is not just family, but everybody you impact from there. Because if I drop a rock in the lake, it doesn't just splash in that zone, does it? Every boat on that lake is lifted to some degree by the ripples of that rock that I dropped. That's your dragon fire. It is having an effect, a rippled effect, at a quantum level on everybody in your sphere, both directly and indirectly. And if the rocks you keep dropping in the lake are those of fear, if that's the meaning you're holding on to, that's what will happen. So you have to give yourself a better meaning. And you get to do that. You get to control that. You get to determine that. 
that's what it means to have dragon fire in your life because you get to control your fear with that fear is real it's important you need to know that you don't have fear because you're stupid in fact it would be pretty stupid not to have fear fear is an important part of how we survive but having the fear run us that's not so great so we take it we pay attention to it so what we want to do is have much greater levels of awareness with far smaller levels of panic and how do we do that we tap into the dragon fire and then we can become dragon leaders because when you're a dragon leader, you if you look at all the myths of dragons, you'll see that dragons protect the gold. Now that's not literal gold. It's not you protecting your finances, although that can be part of it. It's protecting what's golden, which are the highest values of your organization, which is the meaning of your life, which is the people that use lives you can touch. You protect what is vital and valuable above and beyond fiscally but it includes that too it's about making a greater difference because now is not a time for less leadership now is a time for greater human-centric leadership that is based in human capital you've invested in the capital for your company now you have to invest in the capital that is the humans in your company that is where your major investment has got to be at this point in time. Many of my clients are now working with me twice as much as they were before the pandemic. And people say, aren't your clients cutting back? No, my clients are doubling down because they understand that if you are going to lead now, all the theories you learned about emotional intelligence and, and you know, how to be a better leader and all those conceptual things that you called soft skills are now your new bottom line. That's what you have to step into, being a more magnificent human being so that you can serve at a greater and greater level and make a bigger and bigger difference. So now the theories are being put to the test. This is where the rubber meets the road. You think you're a good leader, but do you know you're a good leader? I just had a family, I just came off um, a meeting with a family business in the Bahamas. Family business, multi-generations, like nine generations. And the leaders in that family are all stepping up into greater levels of humanistic leadership. Because no longer is it theory. Now we've got to step into this. We've got to step into a greater level. How do we have a, a dragonfire-based business with dragon leaders who protect and serve those that they're here for? You are not here to give in to your fears you are here to serve at a greater level and you can't do that while you're cowering but at the same time you can't do what i was doing before i fell which is to say oh um i'll be back no no this is not about back this is about evolution this is about transformation we need better more human-centric dragon leaders who are agile and that, my friends, may require you becoming far more involved with other generations. So maybe you have to become more involved with the generation above you or the generation below you. Because one of the things I'll tell you, I wrote a book called Fiercely Loyal, and it was about how to lead millennials, how to keep millennials in your organization and how to lead them. And one of the things that I pointed out in that is our bias as an older generation is to look at the younger generation and think they don't know much. And the truth is an older generation has so much wonderful wisdom and experience, but we don't share it because we're too busy micromanaging. We're not actually leading from our experience. We're leading from our bias. I hope you can understand that. That is a massive difference. Leading from wisdom and knowledge and experience is different than leading from bias. You need to lead from wisdom and experience, but not bias. So what does that mean? It means you have to talk to the younger generation. You have to trust the younger generation to guide you in the agility of moving your business forward from a place of dragon fire, coming together from that. That bonds because it is alchemic. It brings together the base metals and turns them into gold and transforms your entire business. 
So with that, I'm going to open it up to questions. I'm going to give you a chance to uh, have a conversation with me. Uh, one of the things that I don't like doing is talking at people. I love having conversations, and therefore I embrace your questions. I look forward to your questions, and I'm definitely wide open. And by the way, you can ask me absolutely anything. I'm happy to answer in any way that I can. And I hope that this part of the presentation has been valuable in serving you and has allowed you to take a look inside a little bit deeper, a little bit with a little bit more courage because your vulnerability in looking at that fire, that's not your weakness. That's your strength. Wow. That was so amazing. Thank you so, so much, Dove. I've, I've learned quite a lot just from hearing you speak. I'm fired up to go. I just don't know which direction to go in. <laughs> um, Right. I'm just looking at our question and answer segment um, yeah. section there and I'm seeing, okay, two of the questions have already been answered through your, uh, through your presentation, which is mm -hmm. how do I overcome my fear of living my passion and how do you deal with fear of the unknown? So that leaves us with a question from Anonymous that says... Well, can, what, we, can we come back to question from Anonymous in a minute? Because I do want to reiterate okay. those points. No problem. So first of all, um, as I said, this is not about your passion. Your passion is transitory. Mm -hmm. So that I just want everybody to get that because it's a misunderstanding. This is not passion. Passion is transitory. Mm -hmm. Dragonfire is not. And, and one of the ways that you can recognize that is this. I want you to think about, you know, we talked about passion and what you were passionate about when you were 15, but here's what I want you to think about. Whatever age you are, I want you to think about what bothered you for as long as you can remember. Mm. So, you know, what bothered you? So you, I give the example I give most recently, that I'll be, you know, what bothers you? And people would, would have said six months ago, maybe they'd say Donald Trump, right? And I say, okay. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Trump fan or not. It's just a good example. And the reason it's a good example is because Donald Trump has only been a political voice for the last four or five years. That doesn't count because it's not something you've been bothered about for as long as you can remember. Now, Donald Trump may, may be the personification of something that's bothered you for as long as you can remember. What is that? So you want to look at what's bothered you for as long as you can remember because that's tied to your dragon fire not your passion. Mm -hmm. So look at what's bothered me for as long as I can possibly remember. So what bothered me as a kid still bothers me to this day. And it's still a driving force in all the research that I do. It's a driving force in dragon work. And that is this. I want to know why people do what they do, especially when they're, when they're smart enough to know not to do it. I'm fascinated with why brilliant people do very less than brilliant things. Let's just call it that. <laughs> why they do less than brilliant things. I am fascinated with how people can do things that seem impossible to them and take it on. This understanding of what, I, what um, is called emotional logic is different than rational logic. Those driving forces. That's bothered me since I was a little kid. When I was 10, I would look at my aunt who would date the same men with a new face over and over again. Now, of course, if, if you know exactly what I'm talking about, if you've been through that experience, oh my God, this is the same guy. Yeah, you laugh away to see you because that's how it is, right? That's what happens. We date, and I was fascinated by that. I was fascinated by people who made the same mistakes over and over again. Not that I've not done that a lot. But, so that was, that's part of how you find your dragonfly. You look at what's bothered you for as long as you can remember. So that addresses that question around passion versus dragon fire. And the fear piece, again, is when you, when you tap into your dragon fire, when you tap, in, tap into what really makes that difference, when you get connected to that, that is what you're giving your brain, you're giving to that reticular activated system of your brain, you're giving that to focus on. So that's how you overcome fear. So now we can go to Anonymous's question. Right. hope that made it clearer. Yes, yes. Um, Anonymous says, asks, what kept you alive after your fall? Uh, you mean besides the doctors? <laughs> uh, so like I said, I think I had 10 or 12 reconstructive surgeries. Yeah. And as I said, I died, I think, uh, five times. Um, wow. On one particular occasion, um, 
my daughter had flown in um, to to be by my side. She was 14 at the time. Mm. And um, she sat by my bed and she said it was like a movie. And I said, what do you mean? She said, um, everything suddenly went quiet. She goes, and I was just looking at you. And then there was this looked like smoke rising up from you, but it wasn't smoke. And she said, and I just knew you were, you were dying. And she screamed, no, come back. And she said, the smoke went back inside me and my eyes opened and I'd been out cold and I came back. So I think that one of the things that, that, that allowed me to come back was my daughter um, mm. and her call to me. Um, and I can clearly remember this. Now we're getting a bit metaphysical here, if that's okay. But I can clearly remember, um, you know, people talk about go to the light. Oh, go to the light. The light's calling you. Well, it isn't always like that. I felt like at one point I was battling um, to get back into my body, to make that choice, to come back. And, um, but what kept bringing me back was this sense, of what I now call dragon fire, this sense that I had not done what I came here to do, that there was something bigger than my personality, bigger than my success that I was here to do. And that was what was needed. That was what was called for. And in serving families and leaders in families, I've been able to see this because, you know, you and I talked about this the other day, Sitsi, and that is that, you know, the largest majority of business in the world is its family business. Mm. And we have a responsibility to take care of those family businesses, not to micromanage them, but to understand that they are the economic engine of the world. Mm -hmm. And that I know that if I can reach a leader like that, and I can help that leader transform their business and transform their family through that result, then that that impacts the entire community, not just of the people who work there, but every life that that touches. You see, let, let's just take this on so you can grasp it for a minute. How did you find me? How were you introduced to me? Um, Russ, and, through uh, Russ and listening to a podcast. Right, through Russ. Yes. Russ lives in the UK. Yes. I live in Western Canada. Mm -hmm. You're in Africa. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's three different places, right? Three different continents. Mm -hmm. How did Russ find me? You don't know, probably. But this no. is how it works. This is the key that I'm trying to get everybody to understand. My studies have been in quantum physics, metaphysics, psychology, and neurosciences. And what I know is that there is a field. It's called the field. That's exactly what it's called. It's the resonance field that connects all of us. And that when I make a shift in that field, everybody is impacted who is connected to me directly or indirectly. Right now, we are impacting Russ's life. Hmm. Right now, because of my conversation with Russ, because of that podcast, I'm here with you and I get to impact people's lives in Africa hmm. who I would never have known who may never know my name. When I fell, when I fell, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I made a commitment. Because I knew I had to do it differently. I just didn't know what that would look like. And I went looking for the dragon fire. And when I found the dragon fire and I knew what it was about, the problem with that is you don't know if it's really real or, you know, maybe I just made this crap up. You know, maybe I'm just fantasizing and being egoic again. Oh, my goodness. And about three, two and a half years later, I was teaching a workshop. And it was actually a public workshop. And I had uh, this whole bunch of people in the room and people at the end are very kind, very generous. And they stood there, lined up to say thank you, which was wonderful. But the problem is I know myself. And I know that I very often would have a plexiglass shield. You may be familiar with that shield yourself. Mm -hmm. And that somebody gives you a compliment and it bounces off it. It's like, ka -ding, ka -ding. it doesn't quite make it in. So I knew that I had to get better at that. I had to get better at taking it in. So I trained myself to ask a question. When somebody would pay me a compliment for what it is that I do, I'd ask myself a question and I'd ask them a question. So these people kindly lined up and this lady stood in front of me. She was in her early 40s. Nice looking lady with red hair. And she said to me, I want to thank you for today. Thank you very much. Or for these last two days, it's really been powerful. And I said, 
okay, you know, because that's a generic thing. It's very easy for it to hit the plexiglass. So I said, may I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, can I ask you specifically, what's the difference? What was it that's made the difference? And she, she was wonderful. She took a pause for a moment and mm -hmm. she said, I want to thank you for my grandchildren. And I said, oh, mm -hmm. you don't look old enough to have grandchildren, so I don't understand. She says, I don't have any. I'm like, okay, now I'm doubly confused. She says, you see that young lady over there? I said, yeah, she said, that's my daughter. She's four months pregnant. I said, oh, lovely. So you're going to be a grandmother? She says, yes. She goes, and my daughter and I have had challenges in our relationship. And that gentleman with her, that, that's, that's the father of the baby. And I said, oh, wonderful. And she said, it is. Because because of us being here, because of the work we've done on finding out the, the connection between our dragon fire between the two of us, which is what happens when I work with a family, I find each person's dragon fire and then find out how it bonds together. And she says, because of that, the conflict has gone away. We understand that we're not the same, but we can respect each other and honor each other. And she goes, so I want to thank you for my grandchildren because you've transformed up my relationship with my daughter, which will transform, transform the relationship I have with my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Wow. And at that moment, a tear rolled down my face. I just couldn't hold it in. And I knew right there that I was living my dragon purpose. I was being a dragon leader. Because when you're a dragon leader, it isn't about you. It's about the lives you will touch who will never know your name and whose names you may never know. Mm -hmm. I don't know those kids' names, those grandchildren's names. And they probably don't know mine. And that's okay. That's great. That's wow. what it means to be living as a dragon leader. Wow, that, that is so amazing. This has been very transformational. Um, I've never thought of it as finding you. When I saw the title of your presentation, I was like, dragons, what is he going to talk about dragons? <laughs> <laughs> and so now hearing the, the journey and the impact and the correlation of it, I think um, it's making me think in terms of what is my dragon power, what, what drives me. Yes. And um, so I appreciate you joining us tonight and this morning for you and for everybody else who's on um, this with us. Um, there's no questions coming in, so I'm going to wrap it up and just say thank you so much. I just want to say one thing before I finish, if that's okay. Sure, that is 100 okay. So I just want to say this, because you brought it up. Mm -hmm. um, and that is this. As leaders, we mm -hmm. are trained to be powerful um, and not show our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But here's what I want you to know. The reason I love the mythology of dragons is mm -hmm. because they're so big, they're so powerful, they're scaled, they're almost impenetrable. But if you read the myth of a dragon, there's always one scale that is right over its heart that is soft. The scale over its heart is soft. Mm. It's right in front. It leads from the softness. It leads from the vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Your power is in your vulnerability, not in your fierceness, but in your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Let people see your heart beating below the shield. Let them see that first. You can be as powerful as you like, but if you lead with that, that is what creates the bond. And that is why it's important for you to stop saying, I'm coming back, we're coming back, but we're mm -hmm. transforming because dragon leaders are heart and soul. They are kind, compassionate, and they are always leading with vulnerability. I am honored to have been here today. I'm honored to have served you, to serve this audience. I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I want you to know, here's something I'm just saying to you as a listener, and that's this. As you're listening and watching this, please don't listen. Information is worth the hole in the donut. Transformation comes from application. Use what you've learned, not just from me, but from this amazing group of people that these ladies have brought for you. Like they've taken the time, put in the effort, put the energy together, bring all these amazing people to you from around the world. Are you appreciating that? I mean, really, or are you just taking it for granted? Don't do that. That doesn't serve you. 
That doesn't make you a better leader. Show your gratitude. I want you to write to them. I want you to tell them what you got out of it. I want you to share this with your friends. Because Don't hoard it. That's not leadership. Hoarding is not leadership. Leadership is generous. Share the wisdom. Share the knowledge. Get it out there. Let other people know about it. Share it with your family. Share it with family members. Share it with families you think are your competition. There is no competition. There is only ways to come together and make the world a better place. So share this with us. Write to these ladies. Tell them what you got out of it. You can write to me. I'll tell you my personal email. It's dov, D-O-V, at D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. Dov at dovbaron.com. Dovbaron.com is my website. But if you write to us, tell us what you got out of it. If I can serve you, I can help you, that's great. I want you to share this. I want you to get this out there. These people have put this together because they care. Please honor that. Honor that. Be generous. Don't hoard. They've expand that generosity they put forward, that wisdom. I challenge you to do that. Find your dragon fire. You are here to do magnificent things. And you can't do that by going back, only by going forward. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. I appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure and an honor. All right. Stay safe. Stay safe, stay sane, and stay curious. Indeed. <laughs>